and welcome to our podcast. Today we're looking at Ebenezer Scrooge. So the iconic Ebenezer Scrooge is the miserly protagonist of Charles Dickens's 1843 novella A Christmas Carol. This is the classic Christmas morality tale featuring the curmudgeonly old miser at its core. At the beginning of the novella, literature's most famous misanthropic businessman despises Christmas, but Dickens reverses his character from the anti-Christmas figure to the spirit of Christmas, clearly showing the message of hope and forgiveness Dickens intended for his readers. So where did the inspiration come from for Dickens' embittered miser? There seemed to be two sources for this character. The first allegedly came from a walk Dickens took in Edinburgh's Canongate Kirkyard in June 1841. He came across the gravestone of a certain Ebenezer Lennox Scroogey, The gravestone gave mealman as Scroogey's profession, referring to his trade as a merchant. But Dickens mistook this for mean man and later wrote in his notebook, to be remembered through eternity only for being mean seemed the greatest testament to a life wasted. The other inspiration for Scrooge is likely to have been John Elves, who was born in 1714 and died in 1789. He was the MP for Berkshire, who was born into a prestigious and wealthy family of reputed skinflints. Remarkably, however, as is rather unusual for a miser, Els could rather be generous with his money. Dickens will have become aware of Els through his best-selling biography, in which he was portrayed as the archetypal penny pincher. Hmm, sounding familiar? As we know, the term Scrooge has become a synonym for miser despite the transformation and our novella ending on a note of optimism. God bless us, everyone. Our quintessential miser embarks on quite the journey through the novella. At the start, he is cruel-hearted, mistreating his clerk and disregards the Christmas festivities that everyone else seems to embrace. The initial turning point is the iconic visit of his old partner, Jacob Marley. He is invited to see the error of his ways. The ghost of Christmas past shines a light on Scrooge's earlier days and it goes some way to explain why he began his downward spiral into misery. The ghost of Christmas present affords Scrooge the opportunity to witness household's perception of him and the current state of affairs. Scrooge is scared and regretful when he sees the vivid images of Christmas yet to come, which then forces him to change his ways. We will explore each element of Scrooge's journey in more detail a little later on. So, in order to understand any character, it's imperative that we understand their background first. Ebenezer Scrooge spent most of his childhood in boarding school. Here, he was often isolated and forgotten by his family. It suggested that his father did not care much for him. However, we do get the sense that his sister Fan cared for him. She is Fred's late mother. Scrooge enjoyed good relationships whilst he worked for Fezziwig and he did later find love but it was short-lived. His fiancée actually broke off their engagement due to him becoming over-consumed with money. Perhaps Scrooge's attitude can largely be attributed to the experience of his past. Now let's take a closer look at Scrooge. In Dickens' initial stage, Stave, we learn that Scrooge's business partner has been dead for seven years. And we learn the true nature of his greed when he doesn't let the death interfere with a business deal. We learn how Scrooge's mean ways are represented through his physical features. Dickens uses the cold weather to reflect his miserly ways. The weather didn't even affect him 
and he preferred the fact that people tended to avoid him. We meet Scrooge in his counting house with a bigger fire than his clerk. Next, we meet Scrooge's nephew, who comes to wish his uncle a Merry Christmas. And this is the reader's opportunity to witness the contrast in the perception of Christmas for both characters. Scrooge condemns anyone who finds the holiday merry to being boiled in their own pudding and having a stake of holly driven through their heart. Fred can't understand his uncle's attitude that Christmas is merely a time for having no money to pay bills and finding yourself older but no richer. Scrooge reprimands his clerk for applauding Fred's more generous attitude towards the festive season. Despite his negative attitude, Fred invites his uncle to dinner, but it's declined. Scrooge considers his clerk another idiot who enjoys Christmas, despite having to support a family of 15 shillings a week. The entrance of the two portly gentlemen reinforce our initial mean impression of Scrooge. He refuses to donate money to the impoverished. His view is that prisons, workhouses, treadmill and the poor law are sufficient support for the destitute. He feels that his contributions towards these are adequate. Rather shockingly, when the gentlemen tell him that the poor would rather die than go to these establishments, he believes that they should do it and decrease the surplus population. As a reader, Scrooge's non-festive attitude is compounded when Scrooge begrudges paying Bob a day's wages for no work, for which he feels robbed. Our protagonist takes a melancholy journey home to be greeted by his business partner's vision in the door knocker, a hearse on the stairs, a bell ringing and a chain clanging. Scrooge dismisses these strange occurrences but still double locks himself into his room. Then the ghost of Marley comes through the door but is strangely clad in chains and a handkerchief that binds his head. Scrooge is sceptical of Marley's presence and blames his indigestion on the hallucinations, but slowly becomes more inquisitive. Marley impresses on Scrooge that he needs to be more concerned about the common welfare of humanity or be condemned to death, and he wears the chains of his own free will. Marley is remorseful for the wasted opportunities and gives Scrooge the chance to escape his fate. Jacob Marley reveals the reason for his appearance, that Scrooge will be visited by three ghosts. As Marley leaves, Scrooge is aware of the public ghosts outside his house, all bound in chains and wailing, some who Scrooge recognises. He tries to dismiss the experiences of the evening, but struggles to, and he falls asleep instantly. In stave two, Scrooge seems a little less sceptical as he wakes up and waits for a supernatural visitor. A strange childlike figure appears, introduces himself to Scrooge, touches his heart and grants him the ability to fly. We witness a more emotional Scrooge when he's touched by memories of his childhood as the spectre transports him to the countryside where he was raised. He sees a solitary boy, a younger vision of himself at boarding school, all alone. We come to learn that Scrooge had a difficult relationship with his father when his sister Fan arrives to take him home, insisting that their father is much kinder than he was. This is our opportunity to see Ebenezer in a more compassionate light as he embraces her joyfully. This is the moment we learn that Fan died many years before, leaving his nephew Fred. Interestingly, we glimpse Scrooge at a Christmas party thrown by his previous boss, Fezziwick. He was the merchant with whom Scrooge apprenticed as a young man. Again, this is such a contrast from the way we were introduced to Scrooge's cold-hearted acquaintances in Stave 1. It appears that this might be a pivotal moment for Scrooge when he reflects, I should like to be able to say a word or two to my clerk now.
Then poignantly, we move to a conversation with Scrooge and Belle where she is ending their engagement, claiming that greed has engrossed him. And then on the back of this, we're invited to see a slightly older Belle with her family discussing Scrooge's miserable ways. Her husband states that Scrooge is now quite alone in the world. This seems to evoke quite the reaction in our protagonist who begs the spirit to take him home as he's tormented and it seems any hope of Scrooge changing is extinguished, much like his attempt to dim the light which springs from the mystical child's head. However, the supernatural light cannot be extinguished. We once again find Scrooge back in bed, falling asleep instantaneously. In contrast to the previous visit in Stave 3, Scrooge hopes to confront the next ghost as it arrives. Here we witness a more curious Ebenezer going to find the second spirit in the adjacent room waiting for him. The majestic giant sits on top of a throne made up of quite the feast. This spirit is more commanding and takes Scrooge to a bustling city on Christmas morning. The spirit takes Scrooge to two festive scenes, that of the Cratchits and then his nephew Fred's. The former allows Scrooge to witness how Christmas is for all. They embrace the festive spirit with very little support. This scene seems to have a special impact on his, on his soul. Here, we further glimpse Scrooge's compassion when he asks about Tiny Tim's welfare. It is this, perhaps, that warms the icy heart of Ebenezer Scrooge the most. The initial sign of Scrooge's tenderness is apparent when he observes his own childhood loneliness, which prepares him to be compassionate with other children. Scrooge is then taken to numerous Christmas gatherings where he's able to witness isolated groups really entering into the Christmas spirit. Rather, rather ironically, Scrooge seems to enter the spirit of Christmas most when he witnesses the party of his nephew, which was the invite he turned down. Here Scrooge seemed to lose himself in the party games as if he were actually present. What's remarkable is that despite Dickens's poor treatment of Fred and Bob Cratchit, sorry, Scrooge's poor treatment of Fred and Bob Cratchit, they won't speak poorly of him with their respective families. This is crucial to his transformation. Perhaps the most significant moment in the novella for Scrooge is when he finds himself in a vast and desolate expanse and the ghost introduces Scrooge to a pair of starving children who travel with him beneath his robes, ignorance and want. Rather uncharacteristically, Scrooge inquires if anything can be done to help them. Mockingly, the ghost quotes Scrooge's earlier retort. Are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? Here we witness a more submissive reaction from Scrooge as he hung his head and he was overcome with penitence and grief. The Phantom in State 4 evokes a very abject Scrooge with his morbid and rather menacing figure. Scrooge's entire demeanour is altered as he kneels before him and squirms in terror. A rather more desperate Scrooge pleads with the ghost to share his lesson so that he can learn from it. Due to Dickens' clever use of dramatic irony, he builds up Scrooge's concern over one anonymous deceased man who's taken advantage of. A group of vagabonds sell some of his stolen personal effects. Scrooge urges the Phantom to show him some people who show more emotion for this dead man. So he's taken to the dinner table of an impoverished married couple who express relief at this man's death. An unforgiving man whom they owed money. In the midst of this, Scrooge witnesses that he what he prayed wouldn't happen, the death of Tiny Tim. All this baffles our central character 
who pleads to know the identity of the dead man. Desperate to understand the lesson, ultimately Ebenezer finds himself in a churchyard and reads the inscription on the headstone, that of his own name. This careful unravelling of identity serves to ultimately transform Scrooge, whereby he clutches at the phantom and begs him to undo the events of this vision. This is the final instalment of his transformation where Ebenezer promises to honour Christmas and to live by the past, present and future. By the time of stage five, Scrooge's transformation is complete and the reader can enjoy a rather optimistic conclusion to Dickens' novella. The end of the story serves almost as the beginning of Scrooge's new life with an upbeat and rather comic performance of our protagonist enjoying all the festivities. It also rounds out the cyclical structure as Scrooge redeems himself with everyone who treated poorly. In the same sequence as stave one, he sends a turkey to the Cratchits, gives his clerk a raise and asks him to order more coal. And he contributes to charity and then ultimately attends his, nephew, his nephew's party. Scrooge has experienced the moral conversion that compels him to appreciate and enjoy the festive season. His famous last words of the novel, God bless us all, communicates the good cheer to which Scrooge awakens. So this stunning character development is the foundation of the novella and of Scrooge's character. This shows the reader that anyone has the capacity to change and should address their own shortcomings. Also, it redefines Christmas as a time of compassion. We are presented with a finished article by the final stave. It can be argued that Dickens achieved his goal as his novella is often thought to have shaped Christmas celebrations. Scrooge acts as a vehicle to communicate a greater message that transcends his events in the novella. That message being that we should all change to align ourselves with true Christmas values. Mm -hmm.